excited about today. Yeah, I think I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, you're a Wonder Woman, so you have to be on my show. Yes. <laughs> so I just want to start the show. Uh, we are on Facebook Live, and for those that uh, missed this, we're going to rebroadcast and also share this later on Apple. But um, so for those of you that are actually new to Wonder Woman in business, including Beth, I'd like to give a little bit of a background story about Wonder Woman in business. Today we're at episode nine. Uh, I started Wonder Woman in business as an audio and video podcast, really for the purpose of inviting, you know, true what I believe are thought leaders in their respective industries, women that have kind of made the path for the rest of us and are willing to, you know, give their time and share their stories uh, and provide best practices to those that are aspiring Wonder Women. My name is Jasmine Sandler. I'm the CEO of a company called JS Media for the last 14 years. And what my company does primarily is serve women. Um, my whole purpose in my business, which is a branding and marketing agency, is to provide opportunities for female entrepreneurs and women that are trying to make a difference in corporate, the opportunities to network with each other as well as build their brands and create a real impact. So enough about me. Uh, again, I want to welcome Beth to the show, and I'm just going to give a little bit of a background on her. I'm halfway through her book. If I wasn't away last week, I would have finished it. It's honestly, the word I can use is awesome. I love it. Uh, I keep falling asleep. There's pages in there, so I know it takes a while. Yeah, I keep falling asleep, <laughs> but not because of your book, just because by the time I get to it, it's the evening, and I'm loving it, and I wake up with like drool on your book. So anyway, um, I love it. So... Beth is going to talk a bit about her book today for sure. Imagine it forward. But I've been a fan of Beth's for a long time because my background is with IBM. Uh, actually, GE was an old client of mine. So I, I kind of saw her as a trailblazer in what she's done. So I'm just going to give a little bit of her bio here um, and what she's doing. So Beth Comstock, uh, former uh, chief marketing officer and vice chair of General Electric, uh, is, now, you know, is now a published author. And she's going to tell us a lot more. Her mission is to understand what's next and navigate change. And you'll hear from Beth that, you know, change has always happened in business, but now it's like at a microsecond, right? And so how do we keep up with it? And Beth really knows how to frame that conversation. So she's going to be talking about that today. Um, again, she spent nearly three decades at GE until December 2017 um, as vice chair of business innovation and previously CMO. She led efforts to accelerate new growth develop digital and what I love is the clean energy futures, and I hope we're going to talk about that today, see new business and enhance brand value. And um, uh, what, I th what I think is really interesting about you, Beth, is where you came from. You know, um, she was a president of Integrated Media at NBC and how she excelled in a time when it was actually, I know, because <laughs> I was in uh, business in the 80s in New York City, you know, it's hard for women to succeed. So Beth oversaw TV ad revenue, and she's going to talk about how she helped to lead digital efforts, including the early development of Hulu, which is now like, you know, just a common uh, streaming service. So again, I don't want to overload everybody with your bio, and sure you can give us a lot more, but I'd like to start with talking about your book, because like I said, you know, I'm, I'm still devouring it. I'd like to bring it into my book club if they're ever open to real business books. But anyway, um, um, you, you've had an intense career and honestly that your family life to me is pretty inter interesting because I come from a single mom and I think that's why I do this show too. Um, so I'd like you to talk about that and you've had this great climb to the top, you know, to say, to say the least. And 
the word Wonder Woman is kind of slung around and sometimes it has negative connotations and hopefully the show is about bring, bringing a positive light to it. So, you know, we're expected to do it all, right? Um, have children, raise a family, have a career, you know, help our husbands, all of these things. So I'd like to know how you've done it all. Like what three character traits could you kind of attribute to getting here and where you're going? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, I, I thought, I've been thinking a lot about this. I, I remember being a freshman in college. I went to the College of William & Mary uh, in Virginia. And I remember it like yesterday. I was in my dorm with some of my uh, female roommates and friends on the hall. And we were talking about, it was right in the middle of, you know, what are you going to do with your life? And I remember saying, I am going to have it all. That is my God-given right. And it was the late seven, it was, this would have been 1979, probably really, you know, very, very much I expected to have it all. And there was a lot of debate with the women there, but I was like, no, I am going to have it all. So somehow that imprinted in me that, that very early. And, um, and so I think that was never a question. Um, but what I, 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 so I think what I, a couple of things I've learned about myself, I'm, I am ambitious and I'm okay with being ambitious. And I think that sometimes gets us a little confused to, to say sure. you're ambitious somehow is, um, is less flattering or not, doesn't seem very, um, like something that you want to assert, but I am ambitious. I was always ambitious. Um, so I think that's something like just being ambitious, but ambitious in a way, not just to have a title or to have a job, ambitious to do a good job. Yeah. So I think my ambition to learn, my ambition to kind of continually be a better person. So that believing in better, I think would be, would be a second thing. Just there's a constantly a way of believing in better. And then the last thing, um, I think there's a, sort of an interesting dichotomy of sort of tenacity, just keep coming back, just keep coming back in the face of a lot of crazy things. But also I think what I had to struggle with was getting out of my own way. Um, and, you know, it brings up things like asking for help. As you said, I mean, I, I started my career, I willfully chose a path as a divorced single mother, just as my career was taking off. And honestly, I didn't ask for enough help. And so I put a lot more of that burden, but back to that belief of, you know, 19 year old me, I can have and do it all. I literally thought it meant you had to do everything yourself. Yeah. There's good and bad of, of those kind of, those kind of aspects. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. I mean, and wouldn't you say it's also understanding where to put those character traits uh, in terms of how persistent you are and determining what path you're going to put the ambition and persistence? How, how do you know? Like, this is something I asked all my guests because I find that every amazing guest that I've had on that I think is super successful, it's because they've made the right decisions with those character traits. So can you talk just personally about you know, some ways that you have made specific decisions? Yeah, it's interesting, Jasmine. I'm not sure I've always made the right decisions. In fact, I know I haven't, but I believe that once a decision is made, you have to work to make that path work. So again, early career, a lot of responsibility, young mother. Um, I had no choice but to make it work. I didn't yeah. have print. It wasn't like there was some book I could read or I could go to a class and said you, but I had to just, make something work. I had responsibilities. And so, you know, it's not, you, you just, you, you're in the middle of it and you have to make it work. I found that in the course of a career, 
um, I just didn't give up on things easily. I, I remember, um, I remember a woman I worked with once saying to me, and not in a good way, I came back like, I don't know, the fifth time to bring up an idea. And she's like, you just don't give up, do you? And she didn't, she wasn't being flattering me. Um, but I just, you know, you'd have tried different approaches because sometimes you've picked a path and you feel you've got to give it your best shot. Now, that being said, sometimes those paths are wrong or you're not the right person or it's just the wrong time. And I think those are kind of horrible moments, but we've all had them. And I found that in the course of a number of different jobs, projects I worked on, I shared in the book, um, different examples of things that didn't work out for me. Um, and, um, and I think if, as I look back on my career, that would have been something I might have done. Maybe challenge myself a bit more on that tenacity of, is it that you have to finish this or maybe it's time to just step aside and let somebody else take it forward. And so I think that's something I could have um, challenged myself a bit more on and that perhaps would have required a bit more self-reflection. Yeah, it does require self-reflection. I'll tell you, right? Because most of my listeners and folks that are watching are entrepreneurs. And it really, I always tell them in my work it is, you know, you got to stop and focus. It, and, and that takes just self-introspection, like you said. So yeah, I, um, I mean, I, I built my career, as you mentioned, in marketing. And I became kind of the what's new and what's next person. My career was defined, I, I'm in, in large part because I kind of went outside while a lot of people in the company were looking inward, I went outside. I looked at the trends, I was able to translate that in. Um, so I think that was important, but what it also meant is that I fell in love with every idea I encountered, at least for a few minutes. And I would bring stuff back, especially to the team I worked for, and at various stages, I wasn't as aware of it, and they didn't feel comfortable telling me. I remember finding out at one point that my team called me the dog from up, meaning like, I like every shiny new object. And I would just say, hey, go check this out. Isn't this cool? Amazing. Let's do and so they were, they were struggling because I wasn't clear on my expectations on some of those. Yeah. So I think, again, you know, you need to set up the feedback loops. You need to establish the team trust and people need to say wait hold on you give me 15 ideas i only have the bandwidth to look at five help me categorize this and i should have been more aware of it so i think sometimes that enthusiasm that that resilience tenacity is because keep going can burn other people out and uh you have to be realistic you can't do all of that yeah oh i agree you can't you can't and i know as an entrepreneur you come up with so many ideas and it's so nice when you well, I love that you're talking about how you have, how you open yourself up to feedback and having that feedback loop, almost looking at everything that you do from a structural standpoint, you know. Um, I have at least found that that planning, goal setting, and structure works. So I think that's- Do you have a formal set of feedback loops that you get with clients or, or people you engage Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like my, my best clients over time are the ones where I, I take the time, although it's, it's tough, take the time to ask them and listen to what they, they don't like and what they do like, you know, because really your job as a consultant anyway, is if you set forth goals for a client, you need to meet them, but the goals need to be reasonable and achievable. So there, there's no way that you can meet them without having some sort of feedback loop. And I, I honestly attribute a lot of my skill sets to coming from an IBM background. You know, I think that corporate and most of my clients are actually, a senior level executive women 
that are now going into entrepreneurship, whether they're doing a venture like you're doing, like writing a book. I see that as an entrepreneurial new venture, right? It's, you're, you're building a whole new path for yourself. Um, so they could be writing books or they could be out there becoming speakers or doing some type of tech startup, whatever they're doing. So a lot of times I find that their success is leveraging that corporate background because it gives them those a kind of elementary foundation of doing business the right way. So yeah, and you know it's interesting because in corporations we have a lot of metrics and a lot of opportunity for feedback. But I would say my experience is we don't often use it, and that's been my personal experience. I wish much earlier in my career I had established more of a quote feedback practice. I remember I was up for a really big, I was actually up, I ended up being in the chief marketing officer role and GE did a whole big exhaustive 360. And I got some good feedback, but I got some really tough feedback. And my peers and my, my team was saying, you don't ask for help. You're a perfectionist. Like, we don't know why we even bother working with you because you've already figured it out. And frankly, it's not a lot of fun. I had to really address that. And I'm convinced, had I not... One had a good advisor who was in the company who was like, here's what you got to do. You got to listen. You got to tell people you heard them and you got to tell them you need help. And had I not done that, it was a lot of, ugh, you know, but had I not, as opposed to how dare you say that. Right. Getting I was not the path I had because I opened myself up. I realized it's much better to collaborate. I don't have all the ideas. I, I, you need to work with others. And so, I wish I, and, and as with more data, how do we all think about the kind of feedback loops? You know, one of the questions I gravitated toward, and toward in the, later in my GE career was, tell me something I don't want to hear. Yeah. Tell me something that you think I will find uncomfortable, but I need to hear. And, um, and that ended up being a very powerful question for me to listen, and, and because people don't want to tell you the bad stuff. Oh, they don't. Even your clients, right? Even if the customer service isn't right. No, they don't. You're, you're right. Listen, so bad. But if you develop a regular practice and people see that you're listening and you're acting on it. So I wish I had done that much earlier in my career. No, that's really great advice, Beth. I mean, I, I think that most people don't ask. You know, they're just too busy building their business. And most you, times. Your clients, you know, we do a simple net promoter score. You know, would you recommend me to a friend or fine. Okay. But why, what, what could I do better? You know? So I think that just that back to the, in, the curiosity that comes with that. Um, so I think curiosity might be another thing I'd put up there um, as to me was essential in, in kind of building out a career. And maybe I think is another way to think about your wonder woman. Uh, mm -hmm. Women who wonder would be also a part of being. I love it, Beth. I might steal that from you. Go for it. <laughs> I wouldn't steal it if I'm telling you, but no, you're right. You're right. I mean, I just think of even women I haven't had on this podcast, but are dear friends of mine that I just, I completely look up to who have made these crazy great careers. And I look at some of them and I'm like, well, you know what? They just kept going. Not because they're, I'm a Scorpio. So I'm just persistent, you know, and that's a character trait. Um, but they were just curious. So I literally observed my friends go through the ranks of major companies just through their curiosity of, hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't the right way to develop this process, or maybe this isn't the right sales formula. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's an excellent point of advice for anyone that's listening, that you have to be curious. Because if you just accept the norm, right? Sorry. I didn't mean to curiosity takes you to places, too, where you have to invite in criticism some of the feedback is criticism and yeah things I learned in a career in innovation is often you have to invite in the people who were most critical 
because there's a passion there. Uh, they want to get to a better place too. And, and generally out of conflict and criticism, something better comes out of it, but that's really hard to deal with that. Yeah, you gotta have to love that. <laughs> well, or at least be able to tolerate it. Yeah, can you talk about that a little bit? Um, conflict resolution. So talk about the, you know, how and what you have seen and done, let's say at GE and in conflict resolution, um, and how what you've learned through that has helped you because that's that's kind of critical. I, I feel like that you know if you shy away from conflict, can't really move forward. So is there any? I'm with you. Is there any ex like specific example, maybe from your book? Yeah. Yeah. So I um I have a whole section in my book. I uh, I kind of in the book I mapped out sort of five um, categories of, you know, kind of ways to navigate change. And I called this one, it's the right in the center of the book. I call it agitated inquiry, which was a highfalutin term for just dealing with conflict. But I, I really wanted to bring out this curiosity and questioning the ability to have a hypothesis to question. So I grew up in NBC, which was owned by GE. I went to GE, went back to NBC in the role you mentioned leading uh, integrated media. And it was fraught with conflict. I was part of sort of the what's next team. We were bringing in digital streaming and other things. Mm -hmm. And yet there was a lot of goodness in the traditional broadcast model, but it was a bit, there was conflict. And what I came to realize is one, there was fear. Um, and we became warring tribes. So it was me and the digital team against the traditional broadcast folks. And I, I document in the book, at one point it got so tough that one of the other warring tribes I was, you know, sort of working with, uh, the guy ended up being my boss, but we got in such a heated debate, he picked me up by the collar and threw me out of his office. And, wow. And I, <laughs> I, I document this because, I mean, in the context of today, it, it sounds, you know, crazy, like you wouldn't right. imagine it happening at work, but... It was just such a heated moment. This was a very competitive person. And we, be, we lost perspective. We were against each other as opposed to fighting for the company and the competition somewhere else. And I've seen that happen so many times in companies and I lost my perspective. I got down in the weeds. I write, I jumped off the balcony into the mosh pit and I was in pushing <laughs> it up too and I lost perspective. And so I think sometimes in those moments of conflict, you gotta find ways to get to perspective. You know, are we both working for a common goal? Can we have fun with this? Like this guy, I should have, that I used to be friends with him. I should have said, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee. Like, I liked this guy as a father. I knew he really cared about his family. We had something in common. We both loved our families. We had things we could talk about. We both loved the company but we lost sight of that and it became about who's right, who's in charge, and that happens too often in companies. And I, I just look back, there were a lot of things he could have and should have done, but there were things I could have done, I think, to take a different perspective. Mm. So what about the difference, have you, can you talk a little bit about the difference in conflict between women and women and women and men? And are there, are there differences there? Have you seen in working situations or? Do you think it's the same problem? I, I, I don't know. I think every company culture is slightly different. Um, you know, and that one at NBC, it was very passive aggressive. People would say yes, and then they'd leave the room and they'd say, I'm never going to do that. That's the word. Um, at GE, it was a bit more people would, um, people would often just, everybody would say it's great, and they wouldn't raise their hand and say the bad stuff. But once a decision was made, then everybody would 
follow suit. But I really think the best leaders I've worked with were the ones that said, okay, we're gonna, I want to hear from the criticism. I want to, I want to, one of the practices I loved and learned to adopt is this red team, blue team approach where you, mm. we, we were launching Ecoimagination, which was our clean tech effort, where we took the team that was kind of pro climate change and we said, you're going to be anti-climate change. The anti-climate change team said, you're going to be pro, go do your homework, come back in a couple of weeks and we're going to have a debate. And in the end, we agreed that climate change was happening. This would have been almost 20 years ago, and we, need, we could be part of a solution. But it required forcing people to shift that perspective. So I think good leaders do that. They make room for different voices, different perspectives. It means your job as a leader is really hard um, because you have to navigate that, that tension. Yeah. But you, you bring up a really good point about innovation. I mean, obviously you come from innovation, but that it, it really does take more listening than anything. Right. And, it, and building a team of people, even, I mean, even a small team, right. It doesn't need to be a GE. It could be a small team of five, 10 people. If it's a small team. What's that? It's better if it's a small team. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I, I think that, you know, that's important to note, you know, as you're, as you're building a path, you're building a plan, um, to have the people around the table to make change, but, and it kind of ties into what you were talking about previously is how do you know you need to make change is to be open <laughs> and talk about the issue. So yeah. I think it could be applied to any business. It could. And another sort of section of my framework is just this make room for discovery. And it is a mode of listening to your point, Jasmine. I mean, what I mean by that is get outside, get out in the world. You start to see patterns. I have a really simple rule of thumb. I call it going on threes. Sort of once you're out, you start observing things. First time you make note, wow, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, imagine, you know, back in the day, a decade ago, when there were a few podcasts, did, you, did someone make note? Hey, I hear more people returning to audio. I actually keep a, I keep a file in my phone of interestingness. And when I'm out around, I'll note it. And then another time I see it in another context, I'll say, huh, is that a coincidence? I'll ask. And then third time, I just declare it's a trend. And if I'm working with a team, we got to go to work to figure out what it means. Um, but I think that is part of our job. That how, that's one of how you get ready for change. It's not that you're going to change things, but you're not going to be as surprised. So imagine, okay, here's a bit of an exercise for you and, and, and the folks who are, are, are online. Think back a decade ago. Mm -hmm. One of the things a decade ago that seemed really bizarre that we are we embrace and take as commonplace today. I don't know, Jasmine, what comes to mind when you think a decade ago to now? Oh my God! Yeah. Well, I don't know why, but I'm thinking about how funny I used to think it was that people were walking down the street and I thought they were talking to their self to themselves on Bluetooth, and I was like, that person looks like a real fool. <laughs> and now people are not talking to themselves, but they're just, and it's so normal. So that's something that I was like. That's not going to last. Right. Isn't that funny? I mean, marijuana isn't legalization. Oh, yeah. Well, that's another one. Yeah. Right? I mean, getting in a car with a stranger. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right? Right? I mean, something <laughs> as simple as kombucha. I mean, there are these things that I think, so that's what you're trying to do when you're getting yourself ready for change when you're out there. Mm. What are the things you're surveying today that you want to keep an eye on? I mean, this is where... And, you know, they reach hype cycles. Is it blockchain? Is it... Is right. It, Cryptocurrency and all this. These things create a momentum. They have ups and downs, but it's a learning journey. 
And so the earlier you get to learn and you can start to say, how is this relevant to me, my future, my company, my team? I love it. I mean, honestly, I love that because I just want to extrapolate on it for a second for the entrepreneurs because the entrepreneurs get stuck in the weeds a lot of times um, going down a path, trying to hit a goal. And I don't think that they are doing what you're talking about, which is, it's not, I love it. It's not rocket science to be aware and open, but, but I think that that is the, that's the crux of the importance of growth of companies that, that that's going to open their eyes up to what they can innovate and how they can counterfeit it into their business model. Right? So it's almost like looking at, you know, where do I, like with my own business, I look at where do I have demand, right? And what kind of revenue pockets have I been pushing that are just dead? That's how I, that's my own small way of looking at my business. I don't know. Um, but I think it's looking at that and then looking at, like you said, what's changing. I had a guy contact me last year who said, do you want to do marketing for this marijuana farm? I said, no, I just, that's my ethics, you know, I mean, whatever. So, um, but I was thinking, well, if there was something else that's emerging that I don't have a problem with, I need to keep myself open about things like you said, like Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, OTT, like all of these things, you know, Netflix, for example. I mean, it's crazy that actors are getting, I don't even know why I know this fact, but actors are getting paid more now getting on Netflix originals than some of the Hollywood blockbusters. That's an interesting thing, right? That's happening in yeah, our world. I remember in my days at NBC when Netflix was still shipping their DVDs in red envelopes, but their names said what they were going to be. And yet a lot of the people in the industry laughed at it like it's or uh, laughed at YouTube ha 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 cats playing the piano because that's what we do we see these things and we say oh that's so funny or and I think what's often at, at stake is we're afraid of it you know it's like oh my gosh what if that takes off so I think as an entrepreneur you are so focused you owe it to the future of your business to constantly I, I just just take 10% of your time and pick your head up and see what's happening use your customers as a source, every time you engage with a customer, say, what new trends are you seeing? What surprised you lately? What's not working the way it used to? Because your customers can help you be a sense-making machine as well. Oh, that's a really great idea. I love that idea. Um, okay, so I really wanna know what your kind of focus is in terms of what changes or impact are you most interested in being a part of today, or maybe you're already a part of like any organizations or initiatives. Can you talk about what you're doing today to elicit change? Yeah, well, I, um, I left the corporate world. I put a book out. I've been kind of retooling myself. Um, and I promised myself I was going to take some time off to, to answer that question. So I'm yep. still exploring. I think the, the causes I'm particularly passionate about are the environment. I'm just, um, I've always been that way, and, and I'm on the board of the National Geographic Society, but I'm setting out on to do more. I, I've been renovating a small little farm, rundown farm, because I just believe in, in you know, connecting with nature. So there's something there. Um, also, as a, as a city dweller, um, I believe there's just a lot of challenges in our city, especially with people who don't have homes or don't have the access they need. Um, so I, I tend to support those kind of causes and myself, I'm thinking, what, what more can I do? Well, I love it because, you know, I've been in this city since 1999, like right at, right before the 2000, you know, New Year's Eve. And, um, 
And I've seen so much change in the city, but I've also, and I, unfortunately, me as a person have been, I can't do anything about it in my position, but I would like to. I've seen that there's been great change, like when Blue, I, I like Bloomberg when he came in and he made all these great changes in terms of, you know, all the piers and the parks and the development of nature, because nature is hugely important. But I also still see a lack of um, accessibility for handicapped people. It's something that's my kind of like mission, you know? And um, so I think there's tremendous opportunity for positive change in urban environments that I think if we come together, we can solve some of these issues. Um, so the other thing I would add is I'm just, um, I'm a big supporter of women entrepreneurs. I uh, informally advise a number of founders and just really love to um, see women getting out there and giving birth to their ideas. Um, and I think that's happening across the country. It's not just in cities. Uh, <laughs> and if anything, I think this resurgence of innovation and entrepreneurship that's happening in smaller cities and towns across the U.S. is very exciting. Oh, it is. So I um, got in touch with, I don't know if you know, NY, NYC WE. So it's part of the small business SBS. I don't know. Yeah. So I spoke with them yesterday. They were, they're so supportive. Um, so basically what they do is they serve 5,000. I deal with a lot of these organizations and what I do, but they serve 5,000 plus, you know, female startups and try to help them with everything like funding and education. And um, in the position that I'm in, I think that that's what we need to do. We need to be able to come together and have supportive organizations. It's a time where I'm seeing massive growth in terms of female entrepreneurship. It's just in 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 so in in um, VR and in technology and agriculture. Well, exciting, but all funding needs the funding sources still need to catch up. You know, women women funder founders are still having a more difficult time getting funding, um, still getting I think kind of tougher scrutiny. But I I've been really impressed with the women founders I've gotten to know. They're incredibly scrappy. They're they're really smart risk takers. I, I don't know why more smart money isn't going to more women founders. Yeah. Do you, is there anything that you think, like any ideas you have around that for my audience? Because a lot of them are startups. Well, I think, um, I think just build your network is always good. Go, go find out about these organizations like the NYC, we, you mentioned. I mean, I think networking is key. Yeah. Uh, I think just work on building a really good business. I, I often see many founders, men or women, who are like, I have an idea, now fund me. If only it were that easy. Yeah, uh, I wish. <laughs> you know, people want to see actually that you have a good idea. They want to see that you have a customer. They want to see some kind of path to revenue. I mean, pre-revenue companies get funded, but it's much better if you have some revenue. We're not talking about profit right now, but I think spend time on just making sure you have a business. Um, and then build your network and those things start to come in together, but it's chicken and egg, right? You can only do so much with limited funds, a lot of people shoestringing, um, friends and family. So that's where a network I think can help you. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I would say, because I sit on a, because of the work that I've done for startups, especially social media and digital startups, I've seen smart things that some of my former clients have done is keep not just myself, but other advisors involved with the growth of their company, even if it's not a v traditional VC. But like you said, Beth, somebody in your network that can kind of be a mentor or a board person or 
something. I don't think you're ever too young as a business to reach out to those people and get them involved. I think that's great advice. And advisors can be formal or not formal. I mean, you don't have, you know, I personally, I prefer informal advisories where I don't, I'm not looking to take a stake in the company. I just, you know, let's talk a couple of times every few months or whatever, you know. So I think you can reach out. People want to help you, especially if they know you, they believe in your idea. Um, so you can have a range of advisors as well. Yeah, I have to say, so I have a, you know, as part of what I do, I have a conference called Brand You, and it's on leadership and social media and branding. And I, I hope you'll be involved this year. So, um, so I have, so I was sitting with um, the New York Women's Foundation. Uh, they're an amazing resource. So what they do is they support something like 320 female startups under a million dollars, and they help them with funding. So anyways, I was sitting with them. I went downtown. I met with them. And they said, you know what you need to do, Jasmine? And I'm so open to good ideas. <laughs> they said, you need to put together a committee of women for you to really grow this conference. So I reached out to women that I like and trust, some my clients, some just women that I know. And so now I have this small group. I think there's eight of us now, this little committee. And like you said, they're looking out. They want to help. And it's just so nice to have them involved. And they're benefiting. We're benefiting as a team. Um, and it, it was just like a spark of an idea. It's almost like innovation to say, hey, you know, you don't need to do it alone again. So I think that's excellent. Really great insight. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so we talked about, I want to talk a little bit more about your book. Um, so from your book, can, what can you kind of story can you tell my, what I call my aspiring wonder women about sticking to your values as a woman? Um, because like you said, you said, you know, it's harder for women to get funding, but a lot of times, so the other thing about me that I didn't even tell you is that I'm the president chapter of the hockey players doing business. I've been playing hockey like my whole life. And so all of my members are men. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, I have seen with my own eyes many times where they win business and I don't because they're men. And it's even today in 2019. So, you know, and that's, other women come across these problems. So is there anything you can talk about in your journey, in your book, about succeeding as a woman, coming across obstacles where being a woman maybe is not in your favor? Well, when I, my age, when I've been, the time period I've been working, you know, there's been a lot of change, but not enough change. And I've often been asking people who've read my book, you know, I'm, they'll say, I'm surprised you didn't have more women you work with or more women who championed you. And I'm like, well, that was a reflection of the time and also the kind of industries that I was in. Um, and I think for me, I, I, I'm a shy person. I also am an introvert. They're different. We can talk, but I'm, you know, I'm, I reserve. I'm not the life, I'm never going to be the life of the party. I'm not the biggest voice in the room. And so I, I had to learn pretty quickly. I had to get out of my own way. Um, but I, as part of that learning, I also came to, I remember, like, I can't change that I'm a, a woman. I mean, now technology is such that I could, but even, you know, I, I'm, I'm a woman and I'm not going to change that. No way. Um, and so I had this kind of mid-career, this sort of awakening, like, that's my, that's my, one of my superpowers, one of my strengths. And um, I had a different perspective. I also had a perspective as a quiet person. I had a different perspective as a creative person. So there came this moment, I don't say there was one defining moment, it was a series of small moments, this recognition of 
my voice wasn't being heard and I had to change that. Mm. There weren't enough women in here. And if I left that meeting without saying anything, then I wasn't not only serving myself well, but they weren't going to invite me and maybe not other women. Mm -hmm. so you start to be aware of your difference and own it and realize that I, look, I was, I was not a sports fan. I, I like sports, but I was not an athlete myself. And they were all talking about baseball. And I realized, like, I'm never going to know, like, the batting average of name it. <laughs> a lot of other stuff. And I'm here because I have a different perspective. I'm a marketer. I live outside the world. I, I, I tolerate weird ideas and different people. How can I bring that to the table? So I think that would be the story is just kind of own your difference and yeah. use it as a value add. And perhaps that's the marketer in me. What's your unique value proposition? And in my case, difference, I had to own that. Um, and like, it wasn't one thing. It was a series of things. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I, one of my first guests, so I'm also a singer-songwriter. That's my, actually, it's my main passion. Um, so one of my first guests was this opera singer. She's amazing. Natalia Music is her name. And we were, we were kind of talking about, we just started talking about that. And she said, Jasmine, and she's very funny. And she kind of grabbed me because we were sitting together. It wasn't remote like this. And she said, you're a woman. You have to just love being a woman. And I said, you know what? You're right. Like owning the fact that you are a woman and bringing that to the table has, you know, there's so much inherent power in that in terms of what we do. We're collaborative. We're social. We're nurturing. We do all of these things. You know, we're creative in different ways. So I agree with you. I think that that, that owning that part of you um, as your strength, right? So, um, so on the tail end of that, you know, are there any women's initiatives or diversity and inclusion programs that you have been a part of maybe or have seen or maybe on the board of where you think these companies are doing a good job and here's why? Uh, I mean, in my time at GE, I helped see the GE Women's Network. Um, and um, it grew to, you know, the company, the women in the company really embraced it. It grew from like a dozen of us to tens of thousands of women. And what I liked about it, and I like these roles in companies, um, is that they, um, they're about giving women a network. For us, it was all about giving women an opportunity to flex their leadership style in different ways, to be chapter presidents, heads of this, heads of that. And they got to be seen as a leader in a way that the traditional company structure might not have recognized it. Mm -hmm. so it was an accelerator for a number of women to then get into leadership roles. Many, I could point to, who are now leading public companies, leading business units, CEOs. And I know the Women's Network experience. What I didn't like about the Women's Network is there was a bit of a check the box from companies. Oh, we have a women's network, let them figure it out. You needed everybody. The men in the company needed to be held accountable too. Over yeah. time, we started to get more championship and executive champions who, and, and metrics and things that were important, but it's not enough just to say we have a network. Like what outcome and who, who owns it beyond the women who are doing it? I mean, women are busy. Most women who work, um, have other lives beyond their work life. They have families, whether it's kids or parents or pets. And like, they don't have time to be running a network, doing their job and taking care. So everybody's got to get involved in that. Yeah, I had a client a couple of years ago, uh, Roach Diagnostics. And the person that actually contacted me first for what I do in personal branding was a man. And he, he is on the leadership team for the Women's Leadership Initiative at Roach Diagnostics. And I, I loved it. He was so involved with everything that they did. And I, and I saw that kind of group 
And, and in other women's groups that I've seen, like the Financial Women's Association, I don't know if you're involved with them in New York, I've spoke at some of their things, and I've seen the men get involved, and I see the, the power of that. Like you said, other, you know, just having other people kind of get involved and support it because we all don't have the time. It's the same for any, um, any diverse group. Uh, they need support. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, for me, I felt, I always felt it was my job to kind of flood the zone in hiring more diverse candidates, um, bringing more women in, bringing people of color. Frankly, I should have done more to bring more people of color in. You know, I mean, I, you, you, so you have to ask yourself, have I done enough? You can never do enough. Mm. Um, and so uh, you don't have to just be a woman to be bringing in women. I mean, um, there are a lot, and I, I love, I think, out of me too, and a lot of the discussion culturally, I've had great conversations with men who very sincerely say, I'm committed, I'm going to make this change. And so I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Um, so a couple things, you know, I want to just get into little bits about your book, Imagine It Forward. I, I really think that everybody should read it. Thank I mean, I, I have a hard time reading books because I'm so busy. So if I can sit down and read this book and love it, everyone should. So yeah, what are a couple... Easy on, on, on audio. Yeah, no, I, I love Audible too. But um, so what what compelled you to write it? And, and what, you know, what do you, where do you see the impact and the reach of this book? You know, because that's important, right? Because you put, you put your, I'm sure you put your heart and soul into this thing. So talk a little bit about that. Well, for one thing, I knew I was kind of coming to the end of my GE career. I didn't know exactly when, but I knew there were leadership changes coming and I needed to think about what was next. And I wanted to sort of capture the learning and offer it as sharing. I, I used to do a class at GE every month at our training center for early, uh, early to mid-career people, uh, man new managers. And I loved this session. One, they challenged me, I challenged them. But I started to see also in that it was a place where people brought their fear. They, they wanted to innovate. They wanted to keep pace with change, but they were afraid. And I saw it sort of at the root of this was this permission granting and giving yourself permission to take a risk, even if it was asking a question, even if it was introducing yourself to someone. And I recognized that in me and that I had really struggled with that. And so I said, I think I can, you know, share what I've learned and I particularly want to target it to people who are middle of the organization, middle of a career, um, entrepreneurs in the broadest sense, people who are fighting for better. Right. It, it is kind of has them stuck. So um, it's more of a practitioner's guide. It's, it's not a checklist. Do step one, two, three, and you'll yeah. figure out. Oh, I actually don't think those work. It's more of a mindset shift and simple hacks like, Write yourself a permission slip if you're afraid to try something. Um, so, you know, pattern recognition. So I tried to incorporate some of those simple tactics that I had, had learned or picked up from others on, in the course of a 30-year career. Yeah. No, but I like that you said it's a mind shift change. Yeah, it really is. I mean, if you're stuck, like I said, most of the people I come across are stuck somehow, whether they're, they're just not hitting their revenue goals or, you know, with business owners, or they're... They want to take this leap, which I always think is interesting because these women, I think, are superstars. And I always say to them, like, what, what, what actually could be holding you back? You have so many strengths and so much experience. But a lot of times it's just not understanding the path. Like you said, you know, doing simple, you know, tactics over time and kind of looking introspectively in terms of what, 
where you've been stuck before. So, um, we don't want to talk about a fear. We don't want to talk about fear and being afraid, but everybody has a fear. They're afraid to try something. They're afraid to ask something. How many times have I heard people, oh, my boss will never go for that. Or my investors, I don't have enough money. Some those things are maybe often true, but is that really the issue? Or are you afraid to try? You know, did you ask your boss? Did you ask your client? No, I could never do that. Well, if you didn't ask, how do you know? So give yourself permission to just ask them. And if they say no, then there's another strategy to retool it, come back again, find a different way around. So it's those kind of things that we all know. We just, we, we opt out. Well, I always, so I have on my refrigerator Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like my favorite chart ever. And it's that safety. And if you look at that chart, safety is on the bottom and growth is on the top. And I look at it every day because I have fears. I, everybody has fear. Yeah. And if you just think, well, I, I can't do this because then I'm not going to have the safety net. You're never going to cross the boundary. And I, I feel like it's, I honestly think it's women's job to cross those boundaries for the other women that are behind them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if not you, then who, right? I mean, that's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I've seen a, you know, so, okay. Um, so, all right. So let's talk about events that you had coming up or anything that you have coming up, any plans, uh, nothing major. I mean, I'm, I'm continuing to be out talking about my book. Um, okay. so you can find my book wherever books are sold. It's, uh, it's also available for audio cast. And uh, I'm, these days I'm just kind of wandering the world. I'm just uh, in disco total discovery mode right now. You're, what did you call it? A wonder woman? A wonder woman and a wonder woman. I'm wondering and wandering. Okay, we're going to have to come up with a new illustration for that for next week. A wonder woman. Shoes, big feet going out into the world. Okay, we'll do it. Um, <laughs> I love it. Okay, so, um, well, I want to thank you. I know that we're a little bit over time. I appreciate it. Great conversation. Thanks. Yeah, I love this conversation. I'd love to have you on again, you know, at some point. And I'd like to close out the show with talking about some things that we have coming up. And Beth, you are cordially invited as my guest. Um, so on September 26th, I'm in a space called Luminary. I don't know if you're familiar with Luminary, but it's an all-women's luxury co-working space in the flat flat iron slash Herald square i don't even know what they call these neighborhoods anymore district <laughs> um so we are so wonder woman in business has a meetup group and we are hosting a cocktail and hors d'oeuvres just networking at luminary so that's the evening of september 26th and then we are planning the brand new two conference for march 2020 to um celebrate and appreciate the 100th year of the women's right to vote and Women's History Month, right in March 2020. So anybody that wants to get involved with that, be on the committee, uh, it's all available on brandyouconference.com, where you will find uh, the recording of this podcast in the next week as well under the Wonder Women section. So again, I wanna thank everybody, especially Beth for taking her precious time out to be on the show today. Uh, this is Wonder Women in Business podcast episode nine. Thank you very much. Thank you, Beth. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you.